And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm chatting to vet TV host and a man who once tried to do the worm and broke his arm, Dr. Chris Brown. You've done your research. I'm already, I know I'm in safe hands straight away. It's going to be fun. I know everything about you. That was that was a dynamic move, by the way. Never, never attempted before, never attempted since. <laughs> the detail about it that I love is didn't you take a run up? Yeah. Yeah, like who takes a run up for a worm? That's the whole point. But I thought like one thing I don't have in my favour is is flexibility. So, I'm six foot five. Like I, I, I'm not blessed with that. And so I thought I'm just going to increase my chances of being able to get through the worm and, and in, like get myself inverted and then flick myself up. And it just went horribly wrong. And <laughs> your, your first problem with that is that's fine to try and get the kind of movement going so you can get through the worm. But your issue is that you're basically going onto solid ground. <laughs> it was a, it was one of those um, like parquetry floor <laughs> dance floors too. I remember it quite clearly. Uh, the, the only saving grace is that I think if I didn't break my arm, I would have fractured my pelvis. <laughs> that's how hard I slammed down. <laughs> And the worst thing was, so it happened, but it was at about, you know, two o'clock in the morning on a uni- Sydney University <laughs> dance floor. And, and you know, it's the nature of uni. You were at uni the, at eight o'clock the next day. And I went, I went to my lectures progressively over the next few hours. At about like 10 o'clock, my elbow was black and I couldn't, I still couldn't move. And every single time I, I tried to even write something with my hand, it, I, I felt like vomiting. <gasps> so I was like joining the dots. I knew things weren't quite right. <laughs> So I went off at lunchtime to have an x-ray and uh, I, I pulled up and, and the, the guy, like the, the, ex, the radiographer turned my arm over and I was like, oh, I'm actually going to be sick, I think. Oh. And he goes, oh, this isn't good and <laughs> took a shot and he comes back out and goes, mate, ha- have you actually been at university today? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you're an idiot. <laughs> You've got like a fracture through your radius right through the middle of it. What are you doing? He's like, did you say, yeah, I also did the worm from a run-up last yeah, night. So. Correct. <laughs> Correct, and failed to complete it, so I've got to come back and do it again. <laughs> I hope you did uh, redeem yourself and get back on the dance floor. <laughs> now, you've got a really different story to anybody I've chatted to because you were in kind of like real life, real work, <laughs> and then you ended up on TV. Yeah. When you were studying vet science at Sydney University, I can't imagine that this kind of career <laughs> was sort of something that you imagined would be on the cards. No, it never was. Like I, My goal was always to go out to the country and be a, a large animal vet. So I worked with cows and, and horses and sheep. That was the dream, you know. And, and then I got to a final year vet and thought, I'd like to surf. I, and was still enjoying hanging out with my mates in, in the city. I still had that worm to perfect on the dance floor. There were still boxes I hadn't ticked yet. So I thought oh, for one year I'll stay in Sydney. I'll work at a, at a vet practice um, in Sydney and then, and then I'll go out and do my country thing. And one year became two years. And then at the end of the two years I was at a pub uh, on the North Shore and and was like to be honest like quite drunk like not not worm on the dance floor drunk <laughs> you're but, forgetting but, there <laughs> close but anyway I got talking to a girl at the bar and then she was asking me what I did and I said oh look I'm a vet and and told her about you know some of the cases I'd had that week and you know boring vet chat uh, and the uh, and I was overheard by a guy behind me who came up to me later on and goes mate great line about being a vet what do you really do 
said, no, I'm really a vet. That's actually my, my job. And he goes, nah, whatever, and walked off. He came up to me another hour later and said, are you really a vet? Mm. I said, yeah. And he goes, I've got an idea for you. And this guy was a, uh, a media manager and his thing was there are no you know, younger vets in the media. And it was it, Dr. Harry was kind of the, the god that, you know, you walk into a lecture theatre, you have to bow down before Dr. <laughs> Harry. Um, and so he, he was just looking for someone, he thought there might be an opportunity for someone a bit younger and a bit a bit um, with a different vibe and uh, and got me a screen test and with uh, with a few networks and, and two weeks later I was filming Harry's Practice with uh, with Dr. Harry. This is the biggest load of BS I've ever heard. <laughs> no, it seems like... and I, I mean, it's, I know it's real, but this doesn't happen to real people. No, but I didn't think it would happen to me either. So I, I thought that at this time there were a lot of those shows like Punked around oh, and those, yes. those candid camera sort yes, of shows. Yeah. So I used to turn up to my first few shoots and, and I'd turn up early, mm. like 15 minutes early, just in case they were setting up hidden cameras. And I'd talk about <laughs> paranoid. And I'd sit in my car and go, oh, okay, everything seems to be above board here. So <laughs> maybe I can go in and, and do this shoot and I, I don't think I'm getting sprung just yet. It's not the reveal day today. And, uh, and that, that used to happen for a few weeks before I was like, wow, I think this is actually real. So when the guy came up to you mm. and said that, like, did you think it was a G-up? Did you not think it was real? I thought there were two options. I thought it was either a G up or he was trying to pick me up. <laughs> one, right. one, of the, one of the two. Um, no, I, I really didn't know. And and I didn't act on it straight away. It was, it was a couple of days even before I even responded to his... his like he had left me his, his card and email address and, and just thought, oh, look, just curiosity got the better of me. And I thought, well, why not ask mm. exactly what, it, what it's all about? Yeah, but I didn't think anything would come of it. And then all of a sudden I was doing a screen test and... What did you have to do on that screen test? Yeah, so they, they came to my vet practice, the, the, this, this crew, and they filmed me talking to, to patients. I had like a had this guy who used to bring in his mice, um, and this is kind of how I learned to be a surgeon. And mice, because they're pet, even pet mice are often descended from laboratory mice, and laboratory mice are, are almost pre-programmed. It's quite, kind of sad to, to develop tumours because mm. for medical research, you need to study tumours and mice that form a, a pretty good subject to, to study them. So this guy had these mice that almost every week were developing these, these cancers. Mm. And so I'd have to be operating on them, removing the tumours. But operating on a mouse is really something. Like if they lose a mill of blood, it's, it's too much. So you've got to be really precise and, and really, really delicate. And it, it's a great way to develop skills. And mm. so this crew filmed me like doing these operations on these mice. And they're like, this guy, is this guy for real? What, what's he actually doing here? And then at the end of the day, they said, look, that's good, but we want you to talk to camera. And they said, just talk to us about yourself. And I just went on this rant about my childhood and, and growing up with my dad being a vet and told them a few stories. And, and it, before I knew it, I'd been talking for 15 minutes. And they sort of like wound me up. <laughs> All right, mate, we didn't like, ask for your life story. <laughs> okay. And then uh, as they were leaving, I, I said, oh, was that screen test thing, was that okay? And, and they're like, yeah. He goes, I'll, I'll give you one thing. Like you talk more shit than I think I've ever seen anyone talk <laughs> before. I was like, that, that's a bad thing, right? And he's like, no, it's, it's probably a good thing. I was like, oh, okay. And so I thought that's going to be it. Mm. You know, that, I, I blew that. And uh, sure enough, you know, uh, what, two weeks later, I get a call and, and they said, you, you're now shooting on, on Harry's practice. You're the new vet on Harry's practice. So, what I mean, you're working at the time, mm. right? And you've got a, like a proper job. Then are you, was it much of a juggle for that? Like, did you have to give much up? Uh, I had to give up. Initially, it was just a day a week mm. and then it became two days a week. And then Harry's practice finished up after 
you know, six months. It'd been on air for nine years, and within six yeah. months, I'd killed off the show, which <laughs> you did well. Admittedly, wasn't a great start. <laughs> then I went across to Burke's backyard, yeah, and did that for a year. And after seventeen years, uh, within six months, I'd finished that show as You're well. You're the kiss of death. I really Chris was. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. And uh, but I, I learned a lot. And yeah, it was tricky juggling the whole thing between vet practice was you know all of a sudden was you know three days a week and and doing TV was was three days a week and and that finding that balance is is something that was hard then and, and it's still hard today. Mm. But you know? isn't it weird? I mean, especially now, I could imagine when your profile is as big as it is. You got people just bringing in healthy cats, pretending that they're sick just to meet you. <laughs> I, ho- I really hope not, because it means there's a lot of unnecessary probing going on. You know, there's, there's a lot of temperatures being taken that do not need to be taken. But don't you think? Because it's a, it's this weird mix of like a public life and mm. then just a for I don't I don't like saying normal life, but like a, a not so public life. Yeah. But it's like people. Rather than just going to the vet and going, oh, you're just a normal vet, it's like, oh, no, you're the bloke from the telly. Well, I, I still have that today. If, if I am working at the, the Bondi you know, Junction Vet Hospital, I, I go out to the waiting room to say, oh, you know, uh, Snookums, um, would you like to come through? And that's just the owner. Um, and, <laughs> that was a really bad joke. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. And, uh, Get out. <laughs> <laughs> sit yeah. out. And, uh, and, the, and they, I, I walk into the, into the consultation room and they're like, you're you're actually a vet. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm not an actor. What do you expect? <laughs> like, I'm I must be the greatest actor of all time if I've fooled people into thinking I'm I'm really really a vet. And so for the whole consultation, they're looking at me with these raised eyebrows, going, "Do you really know what you're doing?" I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm qualified. It's actually my job." And so, yeah, that that's sort of how it works now. It's this weird again. It's this weird sort of balance between TV life and and actual real life do you feel comfortable though because you know there's that classic thing that your parents say always have something to fall back on yeah like you are a great example of something where you're like well i can always just be a vet yeah yeah I, and i think it's it it is a bit of an insurance policy yes you know, totally. I, th- I think if i i know that if i can just keep that you know even if it's just a day a week whatever it is it's always there yeah and it gives you comfort to know that with tv it doesn't necessarily really matter if, mm. if it goes well or not because there's always that and that that's always been my my first love so I can always always go back to that so it does give you that little bit of bit of comfort and it also means that anything else I do is kind of a big bonus and totally. I, I I still you know if we're over in the jungle like in Africa and they give you the the 10 second count before you're about to go live sometimes I just laugh and, and just go how the hell did I end up over here hosting like you know 90 minutes of live tv five nights a week in the middle of the african jungle in a treehouse and i just think the whole thing feels quite absurd Mm. and so that that's probably why i enjoy it because it it almost feels like i shouldn't be doing it like i'm a fraud that somehow managed to to wriggle their way into these other other career paths but it's it's great because it's such a business that can rip your soul apart yeah. <laughs> and if there's a lot of people who put every single one of their eggs in that basket mm. and the basket gets taken by somebody else and you have zero control over it yeah. and then they could smash all your eggs and you've got nothing left yeah. so having that ability to be like well this is just this is like play money this is play time this is something that i never thought i'd be doing and i've got a whole other career sitting there that i could just jump right back into it just means that you can actually be in the moment with those jobs rather than feeling like, but what about the next contract? Where's yeah, the next one coming absolutely. from? Absolutely. And I reckon the, the key to me getting better on TV and for, I think for anyone who wants to be on TV, it's to care less. Yeah. 
You know, I think yeah. sometimes if you actually care too much, that desperation to make sure it's good or to, to be good on camera is, is your own you know, worst enemy. Mm. I think the more at, at ease you are with the fact that you're just being yourself and, and what you're saying doesn't necessarily matter too much, you're just, you're just freewheeling. I think that's when you're at your best. I yeah. think that's what actually makes you more watchable. So totally. that freedom to just riff on, on a subject and, and just go for it, I think is, it's been the, the biggest thing for me. When you're at Harry's Practice in Burke's Backyard, mm. did, were you thinking at that point, okay, this is now what I'm going to be doing for a while? Like did you feel like it was going to go from job to job or were you every single moment on set going that this is going to end tomorrow? Yeah, end tomorrow, every single time. I just, I just thought, look, this will be a, this will be a funny story to tell the kids one day. Yeah, that right. was always the, uh, always the approach, and and I didn't really, uh, really think it'd be anything more than that. And I, I certainly after those two shows were axed, I was like, you know what, for the sake of the Australian television industry and for these television icons, <laughs> it's best that I step away. <laughs> yeah. You need to stop being invited to sets where things have been going really well. So what after Burke's Backyard finished, mm. was then Bondi Vet the next thing you did? No, well, I, I did this little Saturday afternoon animal show called Talk to the Animals. For, oh, uh, how very Dr. Doolittle I of know, you. I know, and, and uh, for, for six or so months. And there was probably one case that kind of led to Bondi Vet and it was... It was like a one of those 45-degree summer days, you know, mm. where it's hot, it's humid, it's really uncomfortable. And they were filming a story on dental care for pets in the, in the vet clinic in Bondi, which dental care is important. Yes. It's the number one disease of pets. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not that interesting. Yeah, right. Okay. So we, we dropped that because all of a sudden a uh, Bichon Freeze decided to give birth in an attic. Get the cameras there, stat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we rushed there, dropped everything. And, you know, everyone was sweating. It was up in the attic. And this dog was, like, incredibly aggressive as well. So I'm trying to deliver these puppies. I'm sort of sweating. She'd turn around and bite my hand. I'm bleeding on the arm and the hand. And and one by one, these puppies would start to to appear. And and in the middle of this tension-filled moment, the the owner of the dog leant over to me and whispered in my ear, right next to where my microphone was on my, my chest, Chris, if you want to know how these puppies were conceived, I've got the video. Oh. What? <laughs> and so I was like, "What?" And the sound recordist who was listening to it, he left the room. He didn't really even know how to respond to that or how to handle it. And she'd videoed her dogs having sex to, to I don't know, like, as a landmark moment to show where these puppies came from. And anyway, like the cameraman was like, "This is this is amazing." So he picks up his camera and starts videoing it straight off the, the TV. And so this whole story, this whole debacle, as I saw it, ended up going to the bosses of this, this show. They'd ring me up the next day and they're like, we need to talk about this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was going to go this way. And they're like, no, this is amazing. <laughs> and they said, look, we think there might be something in it. Just following you around and, and seeing these cases that you, you come across in Bondi or around that area. And so that was kind of how Bondi Vet happened. And they, they filmed for two weeks doing a pilot and all of a sudden it... Yeah, it got picked up and, and it became this, this show on Channel 10. What did your colleagues think about that? Because you've got camera crews coming into a vet, like a clinic mm. where other people work, right? Was it yeah. weird? Oh, completely. Yeah, I, I'd struggled for, for quite a few, probably the first year just to, again, just let go and just be okay with, with this focus on, on the animals I was, mm. I was treating. And in the end, I, was, I just saw it as being a bit of fun just to you know, be able to 
essentially tell these stories through the animals and their owners. And the owners are often as interesting as, as yeah. the pets are. And that, that's kind of part of the kick I get out of it is, is being led into these, these people's lives and understanding their relationships. And, and, and often the dog represents so much more than it first seems. You know, mm. The dog might be the last remaining link to their husband um, or to, to someone who's passed away in the family. And, and this emotion that, that gets brought out through a dog vaccination, for example, is quite bizarre, but, but some, at the same time quite beautiful. I guess one of the good things about doing a show that is based on what you do in real life and that just happens to bring with it really great characters, really interesting stories naturally. It's sort of a pretty good training wheels way to get into television and to learn how to be in front of the camera because you're actually comfy and dealing with subject matter that's what you're dealing with every day and that's naturally interesting. Yeah, it, it is and it's a reassuring thing as well that, that what you're involved in is some way interesting but mm. also it's a great way to... You know, that, that guy who did that screen test with me commented on my the fact I just talked a lot of shit. This, having a show like that, great opportunity to talk lots and lots of shit. Yes. Um, because it's not scripted. You can't script that sort of thing. So you have to react to a situation. You have to condense it down. You have to make it interesting. You have to make it relatable. So your mind's constantly thinking in terms of what an audience might want to hear uh, and how you're going to help the audience understand this. Mm. So, you know, for I did that show for what, eight or nine years. And so was a really good training ground to develop quick little sound bites and 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 make things um in, in some way more interesting than they otherwise would be how long did it take you to feel comfortable in front of the camera i think that's where you know the burke's backyard harris practice days i look back at that stuff and it was it wasn't my best work <laughs> uh <laughs> let's be honest so I reckon it, it probably took me a couple of years to truly be comfortable mm. and, and just let it go. Mm. Yeah, and I, I still don't really enjoy watching myself back. I'm not one of those people that just obsesses over the stuff I've done. So it would definitely be a year, probably two years. How did you deal with this sort of profile change of going from a vet to being somebody who people recognise in the street? I think um, I've always found that, that side of it quite, quite mm. bizarre. And the problem is that... I'm six foot five with a strangely large jaw. You know, you can't hide it. You're in the worst possible position. Uh, yeah. There is no blending into the crowd you. Can't, for you. you can't wear a hat and sunglasses. <laughs> I almost need like sunglasses for my jaw. <laughs> yeah. Like a, maybe some sort of beard, beanie, beanie pouch or something. <laughs> and and so I always feel like I stick out in the crowd. Yeah, you do. And, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, getting recognised is always a funny thing for me. It's always tricky because... I always seem to get recognised in, in places where I'm in a rush, like airports, and, and people don't just want to say hi, they want to ask you a pet question. Yes. And so you'll be racing to get a plane and you don't want to be rude, so you have to give them like a 20-second answer as to why their 14-year-old dog not only has hip dysplasia, it probably has some major form of dermatitis and all these different explanations. Mm. And, and so it's like speed vetting. Yeah. Um, it's like a skill you have to develop. <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I, I don't feel comfortable with it. I, I accept the fact that it's part of it. And it was actually Julia Morris, we were talking about this maybe last year, and, and she said, every single time I get recognised, even if I'm out at dinner or out, and out with my husband, she says that my husband and I say it's like being given 100 bucks because it's a sign your career is going well and it's a sign that, that, that things are moving in the right direction and that you'll, you'll stay in your job. What and a you've, great way to look at it. It is. And even though they're not paying you 100 bucks, it's like that's an investment in your future. 
and I kind of like it. And I kind of sort of... That's really good. Yeah. And, and so you, you can justify it that way. And then the other thing is that people are generally really, really nice. Mm. And so I, it's never an unpleasant experience. It's just tricky when you're out with friends or, or you know, girlfriend or whatever. And, and it interrupts their, their time because it's yeah. not a career that they, they signed up for. So that's, that's the only downside. But otherwise, you know, you learn a lot about people through their animal questions. <laughs> Let me tell you. I bet you, you get do. a strange in, insight into the crazy world out there. And what, was there a point where you thought to yourself, oh, I think this could become actually my full-time job rather than the vetting? Is that what the technical term is? Vetting? It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Extreme vetting is, Extreme is a different vetting, thing altogether. Yeah, it's totally different, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I still see it as, I still see my, my years being like a balance between a whole lot of different things. And, and I know coming back to the idea of, of never, ever letting go of, of being a, a vet, a real vet. Mm. I, I always see that the TV as being an extra job. Have you ever had any like giant stuff ups on air? Hmm. <laughs> You're looking at me like you, you're aware of one, and you <laughs> no. You want to you want to bring it in? No, I promise. The only research I had was the worm. <laughs> <That's all laughs> I had. Uh, it feels like this was just something that you were pretty natural at, yeah. Uh, without I don't, and you can no, say that without it, sounding like a wanker. But like I feel though, as though. There's a lot of people that work in the business where they didn't necessarily, you know, it's not like you train for this. It's not like you go to TV school. Some people, you know, go and study media or whatever. But the things that you notice about the people who end up making a career out of it is that there's something naturally within them that Mm. means that they can gas bag in front of a TV or do something that... You know, there's, and it's sometimes that's not switched on until somebody gives them the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I, like, I feel like I can, there's certainly been situations where things have gone horrifically wrong, but I, I think that sometimes they're the, they're the greatest moments, aren't yeah. they? They're, they're, they're the, best, the best of times where you, if you can just keep on running with it, then it becomes a, a great moment. I mean, I've, you know, in terms of things going wrong, you can't get much more going wrong than, than animals dying on the surgical table in <laughs> yeah, the middle of, of stories. You know, and that, that certainly happened and, and it's always an awful, awful situation. But, it, it, you know, it's the nature of, of being a vet. Sometimes things don't go perfectly well. But, you know, you even look back on those ones. And I, I've always said that the times where I'm most proud of, of being a vet are actually when the things do go wrong. If you can help the owner through that situation in a really kind, gentle way, then... They'll remember that more than if you saved the animal's life. I, I get far more cards, gifts, thank yous for animals that have died than animals that have lived. It's mm. weird because it's such an awful time that if you can be a little bit better than they, they hoped and help them through in some way that they didn't expect, then you will always be elevated in their eyes. I think, I think that's probably a, a big reason why people warm to you and why you have like gotten a profile because mm. there's that sense of seeing you and your emotional intelligence dealing with people. That's not something that you necessarily get to see much of, of people on the telly. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of auto cue and reading down the barrel, but there's no real moments where you see is a person able to look after another human in like an emotional mm. situation. So yeah. it's sort of already joins you, the audience to you in a way that you don't get to feel with people people on the telly. Uh, ab- absolutely. And I think the television audience is always looking to, to get to know you better mm. and, and let to, to be led into your, your world a little bit more. And, and so I'm, I'm lucky in a way that the, my job, my, my real job allows me to, to do that. Can I ask you a stupid question? Mm. 
you know, if you're a doctor of humans, <laughs> then everybody has their bits in the same places, right? Yeah. So if you're like a surgeon or something, you know, like where the bits are going to be. Yeah, yeah. But when you're a vet, and especially now you've got a new show, Vet Gone Wild, so mm. you're going into like crazy places, exotic animals, whatever. Yeah. How do you learn to do that stuff on new animals <laughs> that you've never seen before when their bits aren't in the same place? That I don't want to ruin the illusion uh, that that I know how like a hundred thousand different animals work, but all the bits are in the same place. What? But they're not exactly in the well, same place. There's little body shape, different body shapes. Yeah, but they're just squeezed up. But like a dog is just a person on four legs. Oh. They have the same every, every you know essentially almost the same bones as well. But you don't. But isn't there some kind of difference? Like if you. This I feel like this can't be. There, like, there is some difference. I mean, I'm not saying like a, a human is an elephant. But, but aren't you doing some guesswork on every new animal that yeah, you've never seen are, before? There are some important things you need to you need to know. And and there are times, you know, with with this show where I you can get like you can get feel like you're seriously out of your depth. Like I, I was in Costa Rica uh, a few months ago and I was looking after a, a dog that had really severe mange, like mites all over its skin, and it was at a dog refuge and it was really touching moment and I was trying to help the dog out and finished up with the dog and we got a call to see a sloth and this sloth had basically been crawling along the ground slowly as they do then climbed a tree and a power line ran through the tree and it had gone up and grabbed the power line and had been it had electrocuted itself but also burnt its arm very badly and so we got called to see this sloth now I've never treated a sloth before and I had this situation where I'm I'm in the car on the way to see this sloth, googling slots. <laughs> yes, I was going to ask, do you doctor Google as a doctor? Absolutely, <laughs> yes. because I'm like I think I know. I, like I'm running through my mind, going everything's slow, metabolic rate slow. You know, if there's bleeding, it's going to be slow. All the critical things. I know that they're green because they have algae in their their fur. You know, that's how slow they are. Like algae grows on these animals. Oh, like really? They're, yeah, they're quite bizarre. Wow. And so I'm sitting there Googling to, just to double check what medication I can give this sloth because you don't, you don't know this stuff. So and I turned up to this sloth and it's so bizarre when you first see them because they are like a cartoon character. They yeah. look at you and it takes them 10 <laughs> seconds to turn their head to look at you and they sort of peer deep into your soul and, and then slowly look away and almost like you've been a big disappointment from the start. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went in with this Google-based knowledge and it's enough. Like it is actually enough just to know what antibiotic I can give it, what pain relief I can give it. You just need to know your dosages and you need to know your drugs. The rest of it is very similar to what you expect. But yeah, like I, I have been all around the world hoping I have 4G mobile reception just to check like a drug dosage on, on a cheetah or you know an African elephant because you don't store away that sort of stuff. You know that you know the sort of the basics of, of yeah, you can probably use that drug or you can use this medication here, but I don't know how much to give it. Mm. So to get the finer details, oh, I'm Googling my butt off. Do you feel like a superhero when you come out the other side and it's all gone well? You kind of do. <laughs> yeah. You kind of do. But you, you I'm the of, best. But I never let on the fact that I'm Googling. So I'm always like, oh, just dealing with something at home. Um, <laughs> and they're like, Chris, it's like 3am back in Sydney. What? And just go away to my phone going, okay, uh, dose of uh, antibiotic for rhino. How did anyone do that before the internet I have existed? no idea. They must have like fakes. Carried around massive Encyclopedia Britannicas yeah, everywhere. Fake, fake gastro and gone to the local library. I don't know. 
and just run. What What do you reckon? We're coming to the end here because you got to rock and roll. What, what do you What do you reckon is the best and the worst thing about the media business? I think the best thing is the fact that I get to face these incredible challenges, you know, and and not just challenges in, in an animal sense, but also challenges to myself. You know, I, to do live TV to that, that beautiful moment where it just feels like everything's aligned. You know, you, you'd feel it as well where you just feel like you're not even thinking about the words. The words are just coming out mm. and, and it's live and, and, and it's working and you're on time and, and you're hitting all your marks and you're interesting, you're funny. You, you, it's, it's all flowing, that, that flow state, what, mm. what people talk about. That, that's, the, that's the greatest thing. And I love the fact that I can bring in all these different parts of, of my brain um, combined to, to that job. The worst thing is probably, uh, it's probably the lack of privacy. Mm. Like I, I've always struggled with that and, and I don't really know why. I, I just, I'm just a naturally private person. And, and so that sort of intrusion is kind of a, a tricky one, but, but it's, it's part of it. it mm. It's a hundred bucks in the pocket every time yeah, it happens. Yeah, it's got to think about that. Yeah, so it, it's, um, it's just part of the course. But I think while ever the good uh, vastly outweighs the bad, then, then you're happy to, to continue doing what you, what you do, right? You, could, you know, you couldn't obviously imagine this when you're at uni, but now that it's all happened and you are here, like does it feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Yeah, mm. and I never really thought I'd be, I'd be doing this to start mm. with. So I feel like I, I'm one of those people that I get bored very easily. I, I feel like I need a new challenge all the time. And, and so I, I love to feel tested. I hate feeling comfortable. Um, and so anytime I feel like I'm, I've got an exciting day, but I don't really know what's going to happen, that, that's when I'm, I'm at my happiest. But, you know, the, always searching for that next buzz, I guess, is, is kind of the thing that, that's tricky, but also probably annoys the hell out of a lot of people that I, <laughs> I, I work with. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 that, um, it's that, that, tricky, that tricky balance of, of stability versus always seeking out the next, the next adventure. Final five questions. Mm. Your biggest regret? Biggest regret would be oh, <laughs> you get one chance to meet one of the most famous people in the world. And I completely stuffed it. Who? I met Nelson Mandela. I was at vet school, like fifth year, and I, I skipped a lecture. I was like, you know what? I just need, a, I need an afternoon off. And was just sitting outside in the sun. And Nelson Mandela was due to present an honorary doctorate to someone. No, he was actually, he was due to receive an honorary doctorate at the University of Sydney Great Hall. But it was the time where there was a lot of controversy over the refugee policies of, of the Howard government. And so they shifted the ceremony from the Great Hall at City University to the Veterinary Science Conference Centre. Oh, what a step down. <laughs> oh this is Nelson Mandela. But there was security fears because I think Howard was going to be there. And so at the last second, they shifted it without telling anyone. And so all of a sudden, I'm sitting out in the sun outside a lecture theatre and this like looked like a secret service vehicle and, and about 10 motorcycles just come screaming in and pull up. And out, out of the car, it seems like a dream, steps Nelson Mandela. And so, <laughs> I know. And so, I, I, was, I just stood up and he started walking towards the door. And so, I thought, well, I'm just going to go and say good day. No one else is here. And, uh, and in the meantime, like two people ran up and, and said, oh, um, you're such an inspiration. Thank you so much for everything you've done in the world. The next person said, um, you know, the world's a better place for what you've, what you've done. And I thought, damn it, they've taken, like, the, <laughs> they've taken the best stuff. I was like, I've got to be different, got to be different, got to be different. Like think, think outside the square, think outside the square. And I was like, okay, I've just like skipped the afternoon. So, I'm, you know, and I, so I just instantly just went, 
you know what people say that um, nothing good comes from from a lack of hard work. What would they know? I skipped a lecture and you're here. This is a guy who broke rocks <laughs> in jail for thirty years before he launched his his political career and changed the world. And I talked to him about the benefits of skipping out of hard work. Who am I? He on, he shook the hands of the first two people. He looked at me. He gave me like a wet fish handshake oh. and didn't even say. They just walked off. You've overthought it. Just totally <laughs> You've overthought stuffed it. it. And I've always regretted that. And, and you know, sadly he passed away a few years ago. And all the way through that news, I'm sitting there going, oh, well. <laughs> I'll never get a chance <laughs> to redeem myself. That opportunity's gone. <laughs> That's a pretty good regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one's never coming back. <laughs> so yeah, it's always it's always bitten pretty deep. I love that you um you also managed to make it all about you in the meeting with him. I know. <laughs> a guy who made it all about other people. Like he probably lists meeting me as one of his biggest regrets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, your dream gig. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Do you want a moment to get over the memory of that? I feel like that one was buried deep and you just got it. I really had to bring it up. Um, A lot of therapy sessions have got rid of that one. Yeah. Um, uh, Dream job. To be honest, it's... I don't think I have a dream job. I think I have dream jobs. I I, kind of like what I do at the moment. Just the fact that I can mix up a bit of vet work with a bit of uh, live TV and, and... traveling the world with this this new show to treat animals around the world i I feel like i I give enough back versus at the same time testing myself and so it's probably dream jobs and i I feel like i'm i'm pretty happy at the moment vet gone wild is like i look at that and i go that must be a dream job because that's just getting flown around into these amazing places you might never see to treat animals you might never have across your table yeah it's pretty good that it's essentially eight countries in eight weeks Oh, um, hello. That makes it less fun. Yeah, and, and that's the only downside <laughs> is that I, I remember very little of it because I was, I was so jet-lagged. And, yeah, right. Uh, it always seems so good, that idea of the jet-setting lifestyle. And you're like at the airport for the 95th time in four days just going, I want to die. Oh, and there was there was one time in, in Namibia I, I flew in at – I think I got in at 2 o'clock in the morning and I was up at 5. I didn't even sleep and I, and I had to go straight into a, operating on a, a cheetah. The cheetahs are as endangered as as rhinos are. They're sort of the forgotten, almost the forgotten animal of Africa. And you know, the locals see me as being this person that's flown in to save the cheetah. And I'm in no state to be doing surgery, but this is what has been organised. So mm. you have to get, you have to do it, and you have to get through it. And yeah, so it's, it's yeah, that's that, taken some of the shine off the dream job. It kind of, <laughs> yeah. it kind of does, but at the same time, it's it's great to look back on. Yes, it. yeah, it'll be great when you watch it. That's yeah, what it'll be great, awesome. It's great after eight hours sleep. <laughs> you feel it. amazing about it. Um, what's a big idea that you still want to get up? You don't have to give me the specifics if you don't want to, to reveal it. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's an idea with a a mate of mine. Um, I've got a few. I've got a few ideas. TV which, stuff. Yeah, it's a TV idea mm. um, with a mate of mine, which which involves a fair bit of travel. But you're just, just trying to get more frequent flyer miles and free trips. I don't know what I'm doing because <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy. Um, yeah, just showing a different side of of the world uh, through animals. But yeah, there's there's a few other things I'd like to do in in the the animal space. Um, that aren't TV related as well. Are you lucky enough, I would imagine, now that the context that you have and the work that you've done mean that you can pitch those kind of things and have people that are interested in it, yeah? Yeah, and importantly, um, I have people 
friends, I guess, around the world who, who are willing to, to have me and yeah. for me to travel over there and, and spend some time with them and, and know that, um, you know, I won't be Googling uh, the, the species of their animal too much. <laughs> um, my question is, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? But I know the answer, you'd be a vet, right? Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which would make, make the old man who's a vet probably happier. Yes. To uh, and finally, your advice to people wanting to get into the business. I think... Go with what you're good at. Go with what you're passionate about because that's obviously what's going to make you so much more authentic and, and so much more real and relatable. And and just don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. Just just go with it and, and try to find out what it is that, that makes you unique and, and your opinions and and uh, that point of difference is, is very watchable and is very interesting to, to people because if no one else is doing it the way you're doing it and no one else has those opinions that, that you have, then, uh, then immediately you, you, you're you're necessary because there's not there's not anything else out there like you and um but at the same time yeah just don't worry about presenting in a way that you think you need to be presenting yourself just talk like you talk mm. and uh and i think immediately you're more interesting that way i know you're busiest man alive so thank you for joining me on the show i really it, appreciate it I, and i i want to thank you for uh for putting up with my, my schedule and my life and the fact that i've been that hopeless <laughs> he's that a hard man to catch <laughs> yeah but, but you caught me well done I did. and um no I've, i really enjoyed it it's been nice to uh, to chat properly thanks chris no worries thanks for listening to you've got to start somewhere hey to subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start Thanks so much for listening to my chat with Dr. Chris Brown. I think we can all take some comfort in the fact that even after years of studying at vet school, you still have to use Dr. Google. Now, as I mentioned in my episode last week, this will be the last episode of the show that I'll be dropping weekly for a while. The show is not dead. Do not stress. It's okay. It's not going anywhere. I'm just going to be releasing episodes a little less frequently for a bit. I've still got some great chats lined up, so I've got plenty of stuff on the way. And if you want to know exactly the moment that the next episode drops, then make sure you are subscribed to the show. You can do that in whatever podcast app you choose, but that will guarantee that the episode goes straight to your phone as soon as it's live. And while you're poking about in the app, why not leave a review if you haven't done so already? It is a great way to tell other people about the show or alternatively, you could just tell them in person by running after them in the street, grabbing their phone and subscribing to the podcast. I leave the decision entirely up to you. If you would like to hear somebody specific on this show, then please, you can leave that in the review or alternatively, you can head to you've got to start somewhere.com and send me an email there and I will endeavor to hound and harass and stalk that person until they will come on my program. I cannot make any promises except to say that I promise to do my best. I'll see you in your ears very soon for the next episode of You've Got to Start Somewhere.